Podcast. How's it going, everybody? Yeah. We are pumped. We are here. My name is Warren. I will be your host this evening from the lovely, lovely South Miami Beach area. And I am with a bunch of my friends, and we are going to be talking about and what we normally do talk about here on the Down in Front Podcast is a bunch of movies, TV shows, nerdy stuff, and just about anything and everything that we want to do. So I'm going to go and uh, toss it around, but before we actually kind of introduce everybody else who's here, we are going to be talking about David Aronofsky's newest film, Mother, which is, just came out in theaters and it is really getting a lot of different reviews, especially a lot of things on Twitter and social media is just all over the place. So we were really excited and really pumped to kind of talk about it, just to share some of our thoughts. Um, so before we get into the actual entire sort of episode, I'm going to introduce one of my best friends in the world. The mouth of the South. Brylan, how's it going, Brylan? But, uh, what am I doing? I am drinking the gentleman, the Jack, the gentleman Jack. As usual. Clinky, clinky. Ice and a drinky. <laughs> uh, what have been watching? <laughs> 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 what I've been watching recently is, um, I, a couple of weeks ago, I finished the, um, the final season of Orphan Black, and I've watched all five seasons of this show on BBC America, and I have to say, looking back at this, this is going to be, I think, a, a show that's going to be appreciated for many years to come, even though it wasn't like hugely popular. It definitely built its own fan base, and they were able to approach subjects in a very fresh way, but also realistic way, like a lot of their sci-fi I mean, you could definitely see would be happening, I mean, today. Uh, It's all about genetic engineering and cloning and things like that. Um, But they also had, like, great characters. And it was definitely a show to watch just to see one actress, Tatiana Maslany, uh, play a dozen different characters in very unique, different ways. And she knocks it out of the park. She's just a powerhouse of acting throughout this whole series. If you ever get a chance to watch it, I definitely recommend binging it. It is definitely a good ride. It does get kind of muddy with its storyline a couple seasons in. But uh, it's always good to see just what she does. But she also has a really good supporting cast to help her out as well. Cool. Um, other thing I was watching was BoJack Season 4. And just some quick comments on that. Uh, with BoJack, I mean, I love BoJack. I think it's... For an animated show about uh, anthropomorphic uh, animals, it is probably some of the most earnest, heartfelt uh, human condition uh, analysis out there. Um, And I feel like this season might be its weakest, but there's still some amazing work in it. I mean, I think one of the weak points is BoJack 
doesn't feel like front and center to me this season. Uh, but they have some amazing, um, uh, amazing storylines for other uh, characters like Princess Caroline, amazing season arc, and also Bojack's mom and just that side of Bojack's family, the Sugarmans, or uh, yeah, the Sugarmans. Uh, that it's interesting to see not only just what his mom went through, but just like history of that genealogy and what may actually uh, speak about who Bojack is. Um, and then also always this this show is awesome for its visual side gags and it's very it's it's a dedication to continuity. <laughs> There's like one billboard that says Uncle Cuck at the very beginning of the season. <laughs> And it's just like a shady guy watching two people in a bedroom make out. <laughs> they end the season with a billboard in the back saying, Son of Uncle Cuck, and this little kid, wide eyed at the kitchen table watching people make out in the back. So you got to give it up that the, the um, creators have that attention to detail throughout the whole season. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I heard definitely a lot about the show, so I still have a chance to kind of take a look and kind of watch it, but it's definitely on my list, so. I'm super pumped, and as always, thanks for uh, hanging out. Uh, I'm going to toss it over to the mokiest of the mochas that I've ever known in my life. It's kind of weird, because I only know one of them. Uh, Mike, how's it going, man? It's going great. It's going great. I've never been this mocha in my life, and I feel good about it. Yeah, that, all that hot weather? I don't know. What are you yeah, uh, know. sipping on? And, uh, what you been watching? <laughs> well, as for what I'm sipping on, I'm... I'm running strong on the Apothic train. Mm-hmm. As listeners to the pod will know, I've drank Apothic for pretty much every episode for the past, like, four. This time I switched it up. I'm drinking a nice Apothic white. Gone are the days of the dark and sultry. Um, now it's all about light, cold, and crisp. Um, but it's pretty tasty. It's going down way too fast. So hopefully I maintain myself throughout this recording. And as for what I've been watching, I had the pleasure last night of watching a new Netflix comedy special starring Jerry Seinfeld called Jerry Before Seinfeld. It's a um, it's a solo stand-up special where he uses stand-up comedy or uses a stand-up comedy routine to sort of go through his history as a comedian of growing up in New York and what it was like, like going from his very, very early, like toddler age childhood to becoming an adult. Um, Jerry Seinfeld is one of the legends of comedy, in my opinion. He is, has been in the game for so long and is just so... He's so funny to me in a way that a lot of comedians aren't. He's not a clean comedian. He doesn't curse or and he doesn't like use dirty language, but he's not necessarily a clean comedian. It's just not his style of humor. And somehow, you know, all these years later, after my first time watching Jerry Seinfeld stand up, like back in like the early '90s, maybe late '80s to today, he still has the ability to just in a really, like, really break down um, concepts that we deal with every day in the world to really simple, simple truths um, that just make me laugh my ass off. And I was worried about the special because he hasn't done a stand-up special in so very long. And it's just very clear that comedy is just who he is. He didn't miss a beat. He was a consummate professional, um, and it was a great watch. So if you're a fan of stand-up comedy or a fan of Jerry Seinfeld, definitely watch Jerry before Seinfeld on Netflix. Cool. Uh, I mean, as always, thanks. I'm definitely going to be checking that out, especially because I know a lot. There's so many fans from Seinfeld and uh, so many parts of that particular kind of comedic sort of approach. So it's definitely going to, it should hopefully hear more about it. I actually haven't heard it and seen it, so that's actually going to be pretty cool. I'm going to check that out. So, as always, thanks for uh, being here. 
Glad to be here. Uh, and then I have literally the sexiest man on earth, even above Ooh. Charlie Hunnam. I have Mike Blewett. How's it going, Mike? Whoa, whoa, what's <laughs> below Paul Rudd? We must make yes, that below Paul Rudd. Yeah, above Charlie Hunnam, below Paul Rudd. Wicked good right. games, come at me. What's All up? Right, so uh, I'm drinking water because I was in the South, uh, in Louisiana. Uh, for the last five days, and I did nothing but drink beer, and it was awesome. Um, and yeah, I didn't see anything for the last like week because I was in Louisiana. It was awesome. Uh, Patriots won. Go pass. And he's the worst. Um, so thanks, Mike. <laughs> Not as happy having you on, but as, as always, it's great to see your face. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, and I am Warren, your host of this evening. I am currently sipping on some hotel wine. It's called Copa Divino. Is literally cup of wine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, so amazing. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, oh. Uh, yeah, so I am drinking the a cup of wine. Copa Divino was the Soma single yeah. from Los Ketchup. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Los Ketchup. Uh, a Copa Divino Merlot, and I have some Copa Divino Cabernet Sauvignon um, on standby. We never know where what's going to happen tonight. Uh, and I've been actually watching, uh, much like uh, Mike uh, Blewett, uh, I've been traveling a bunch, so I've actually been watching like my uh, normal ones. Um, all my anime episodes, and I know me and sort of like Mocha kind of talk about it, but I have been like binge reading a lot of other manga episodes and a lot of manga chapters and stuff like that, and like really getting to like my nerd on, on, on all that stuff. So I'm super pumped to kind of talk about that, whereas, you know, Hunter Hunter and One Piece and even on Attack on Titan and... Uh, Mocha even dropped a bomb uh, that literally blew my mind uh, while I'm going. I was heading back to Boston, so I'm super pumped to kind of talk about a little bit more about that a little bit later on. Uh, just kind of watching everything else and really watching a lot of sports too. Um, but I am super pumped. I am really excited to kind of get some thoughts and some theories on Mother by David Aronofsky. And what we're going to be doing is that we're going to get into our full actual episode, uh, but we will be spoiling the actual movie. But before we do that, I do want to kind of j toss a question to the group here and say, you know, what were you expecting kind of going into this movie, especially with you've, you've done movies like The Black Swan and Requiem for a Dream? Like, what was some, a couple thoughts that you had from a list of like hearing the movie called Mother and kind of going into it? I had next to nothing. I knew, I like, I knew Aronofsky was a famous director. I didn't really know what he was known for, mm -hmm. and I watched no trailers. I didn't even know Javier Bardem was in it. I like knew it was Jennifer Lawrence, and that's it. And that's pretty much all you needed to know. Pulling the old Warren, I like it, Riley. Uh, yeah, I've been a fan of Aronofsky's ever since Pi uh, was released, and. Uh, <laughs> When I heard about this movie, I mean, I was definitely super interested to see like what he's coming up uh, coming up with next because the last movie I saw of his was Black Swan. I thought that was amazing, um, and it was really it's a uh, I basically I had a really interesting thought process while watching this movie. Like first when I was watching, I was like, "Hey, is this like kind of like a?" a uh, metaphor for home ownership and the hardships of home ownership <laughs> <laughs> to be very honest like yeah. i think that's because a lot of my friends right now they bought and sold houses recently and it's out and all their stories are like nightmare fuel pretty much about that process 
Uh, and as I started to watch the movie a little bit more, I thought it was like a twisted take on Princess Mononoke. So it just like a very like ecological, like conscious uh, tale. But ultimately, it started to think that the movie was about the creative process and just about um, the pragmatism of just normal everyday life, like going home, having a routine, versus, hey, if you're a creative person, you definitely have to take risks and you got to actually um, put yourself out there and um, maybe create some chaos, which may cause a lot of that stability to break and fall. And where do you pick up and continue to maintain the balance of uh, stability and the creativity? Cool. Mocha. Yeah. I have been a fan of Aronofsky since Requiem for a Dream. Um, that movie was probably the first time in my young adult life where I realized that I could be completely disturbed and bothered by a film and absolutely love every single minute of it. Um, I've seen Black Swan. I haven't had the good fortune of seeing Pi, but I knew coming into this movie that... It was going to, at the very least, have some imagery or some moments that would just be very bothersome to me mm-hmm. uh, or to any well-adjusted, unpsychopathic individual. Um, and this movie just tried really hard to prove me right. There were a lot of things in it that were just confusing and uncomfortable and one of the uh, most like downright disturbing scenes I've seen in the film, which we'll get into later in our post-spoiler section. Uh, but he lived up to his name. I feel like in terms of in terms of that, um, some might argue that he tried to reach a little bit further than his name, um, but we can get more details into that later on. But uh, but yeah, that's where I stand with Aronofsky's work. Cool. Yeah, I mean, Darren Aronofsky, like really, uh, much like you, kind of kind of chime on Mocha. Like it really kind of messed with my mind a little bit. I remember watching. Um, Requiem for a Dream and did not know what the movie was about and I just heard it was good and it really turned me off on a lot of things it just really kind of messed me up and I think I just sat in my room and like just contemplated just everything like I really just looked at everything and was like wow like I can't believe someone can make this piece of work and it can affect me so much um, so I definitely had that same sort of approach uh, and then Black Swan came out and, you know I think it was uh, Mila Kunitz and uh uh, what's her name? Natalie Portman. Thank you. Uh, that was a great movie. Like very like suspenseful, and it was also about like the uh, the, the a dance. And it's like the, uh, not the opera, but it's also like a, a ballet, and uh, that had a lot more sort of emotion into it. But that was also kind of put on literally a stage. So uh, I was really excited when I heard that he was directing this movie. But of course, I don't watch the trailers. Uh, so I think my over like my initial sort of thoughts were, what? And uh, it was <laughs> it was kind of tough to uh, really. Uh, I think me uh, me and Mocha sat there and like was really trying his hardest, and we were walking to like, a bar, and we we're really trying our hardest to really try to figure out you know what the movie was about. But you know we're gonna get into our, our, our you know like you said post spoilers in a second. But you know overall while watching the movie, I did like the one thing I would say for it is I wanted to finish this movie because I needed to know exactly what was happening. Um, so, uh, for anything, you know, it definitely was kind of gripping and it really, um, was very entertaining and I, and I kind of wanted to know how the story would end. So, um, that was definitely kind of a, a, a positive for the movie itself. 
So, we're going to give you a quick uh, commercial break, uh, and then we're going to do a small intermission, and then we're going to go into a completely post-spoilers, get into the all the nitty-gritty of Darren Aronofsky's mother. See you soon. Thank you for joining uh, us in the Down in Front Podcast crew for our entire spoiler, post-spoiler review of Mother, directed by uh, Darren Aronofsky, uh, stars Jennifer Lawrence, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, Javier Bardem, Ed Harris, and a bunch of people. Uh, I'm going to toss the runs over to uh, my favorite fan in the world, Brylan, uh, get us started off some things that you, you enjoyed about movie uh, Mother and some things that which is, you were digging. Yeah, one uh, thing I really love about this movie is that uh, it's definitely a Darren Aronofsky film. From the very first scene that you see, he kind of just says, hey, I'm going to fuck with your mind. Uh, with uh, with Javier Bardem putting the crystal on the little pedestal, and then the burnt-out house becoming a normal house, and then we see Jennifer Lawrence. Um, and it uh, it's really cool to see just how he does his best to fuck with your mind through the whole movie uh especially when it comes to that final third after uh the sex scene and Jennifer Lawrence gets pregnant just that whole cascade of uh just craziness that happens about that goes through um just like a stair step of pretty much like Hey, uh, someone may like me for the work I do to, oh, a lot of people like me for the work I do to, oh, shit, um, people are starting to worship me. Um, That whole elevation of fandom, but also becoming ideologies, Mm -hmm. I think is done fantastically well. Um, I also want to say, I really like Michelle Pfeiffer in this film. I think she's the best when she's kind of like a mouthy, vindictive bitch. And she has some really good scenes, especially with Jennifer Lawrence, about like kind of coaching her through uh, what she needs to do to be a wife, especially when she has an older husband. Uh, there's a whole scene when they're talking, uh, when they're washing clothes, she's like, really, you need, you got to like jazz this up if you're going to get his attention and stuff. And I thought she played that role very well. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I I disagree with you a little bit. I like she didn't do a bad job there, but she didn't really stand out for me in any way. And you're not alone. There's like I was reading reviews after going to see it, um, where they were specific. A lot of people were specifically calling out. I just couldn't see it. It wasn't it wasn't anything special to me. She played a part. She played it well, but it wasn't like transcendent. Yeah, I think what I mean to me, what it is is that she's such a different dynamic to what Jennifer Lawrence was putting on the screen. 
that she had a lot of volatile emotion and that even after you meet her husband, who's like this nice, pleasant guy that you find the unfortunate scenario that he's dying, that she accepts that, but she still is going to kind of live her life the way she sees fit, no matter what happens. And I think it's a really, I think it's a really multi-level character that's in the movie, uh, even though she's in there very briefly. Um, but I have to say, probably the best thing about this movie is America's Sweetheart, Javier Bardem. He is probably one of the best fucking actors working right now. Uh, and it's amazing to see him. Where he's a character, he's an actor that he could be the most vicious guy in the room. He could also be the most charming guy in the room. And you get a lot of that in this movie. You get all elements of, I think, what Javier Bardem is to acting. And you get to see him like be very uh, calm, a calming presence during a lot of grief during the uh, funeral scene for Ed Harris's son. You get to see him be violent as hell when the crystal breaks. Uh, you get to see him be kind of naive and beloved during the whole chaos reigning scenes. And man, I think he his power on the screen is just fantastic and phenomenal. And one last thing I liked about this movie, I liked that even though Darren Aronofsky might have his own interpretation of this film, that it is open for interpretation. That you're going to take this movie out the away from you the way you feel you wanted to. You're either going to be absolutely confused or you're going to take a few moments to think about, okay, what did I just see? And come to a conclusion based on that. Yeah. I mean, like, definitely kind of, like, uh, echoing some of these thoughts, Brylan. I do, like, enjoy, like, the suspensefulness of the movie itself. It was very intense. It was a thriller. It was, uh, there weren't any, like, kind of jump scares, but I think that they may have been, like, a couple, like, kind of weird things that's happening, and you can see that, like, it was an embodiment of, like, the house and, um, how that she was kind of feeling, like, a particular kind of time frame. Like, you could see that the house was actually kind of dying and, like, physically kind of breaking down and... Uh, the house was kind of bleeding and kind of leading her different places. And uh, there was just a lot of imagery. There's a lot of pieces in the set design that I just thoroughly sort of enjoyed. I just like, like, some of these images um, that was being portrayed and was happening. Um, uh, you know, Gen- uh, Jennifer Lawrence's, you know, mother, woman character. Um, I-, I thoroughly enjoyed the, a bit of the, I-, I can't even call it random. I just love how, you know... There are certain people, like, the entire Ed Harris and Donald Gleason and Michelle Pfeiffer, like, that, their entire, there's another guy that who know, but he's a no-name actor, right? Spoiler, he dies, so you know he's a no-name actor yeah. when that happens, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, that entire sort of family conflict, and it really kind of speaks, like, pretty high of other people's family conflict sometimes kind of gets involved in yours and you're trying to help, but... It, it doesn't necessarily kind of work and I think that Aronofsky was me- necessarily making like a statement from there and I just love how crazy that ramped up like really quickly just from oh hey like we're trying to you know like he thought this was the Airbnb or what are we going to do just kick him out and um, I love Ed Harris in that, in that moment in that, in that scene he just kind of just randomly he was basically just playing himself which I just love Ed Harris all, anyway 
Uh, but it really come with, you know, you got a stranger, uh, and then we're not entirely sure, then you get another stranger, and we're not entirely sure, then you get this whole backstory, and the backstory that we got, you actually heard sprinkles of it, so you can see that storyline kind of ramp up really quickly, and they're side characters, right? And then at the same time, the the mother, or, you know, Jennifer Lawrence's character is trying to process exactly what's happening, um, and then it just keeps ramps up to the point where it, like, kind of culminates in the death of the child, so... Of her child, the uh, grown son, um, so I, you know, I do enjoy like that. There was a lot of moments that I was just completely hooked and just on board of like just kind of focusing on and like like um, kind of listening and just seeing those moments in the screen, especially the entire chaotic sort of moment at the end of you have a room that's basically kind of spinning around, and just about each and every shot is like a different locale. Like it's crazier and crazier with explosions and tanks and there's like a one part there's like Russian people like and people were like in cages it's it was absolutely sort of, sort of ridiculous so um, I, I do like that it really kind of um, kind of speaks to a lot of like there's a lot of weird sort of absurdist theaters pieces of just like at one point there is no God and it's all sort of chaos and that really really felt that way at the end of this movie uh, Mocha what you got? Yeah this film it's a good thing we break things down in order to let us focus on the positives and the criticism separate, just because I feel like uh, with a lot of people, it's easy to get swept up in the things that make you uncomfortable uh, in this film. Um, but I think as far as good things go, you know, like like a few of you had mentioned, the acting, I think, is pretty great through, through and through. I think that the actors were only given so much to work with, but I absolutely loved Javier Bardem throughout every minute of it, Michelle Pfeiffer can still absolutely bring it to the screen in terms of selling a character, as well as just looking absolutely incredible for a 59-year-old person. Um, Jennifer Lawrence, for someone who I've typically seen in more action-oriented, dynamic, I'm-the-loud heroine uh, roles, was able to pull off this soft-spoken, somewhat shy, not-in-control-of-her-life individual in a way that I hadn't seen her perform on screen before, which I thought it took a, takes a good amount of effort. Um, all around, I think that everyone who showed their face in this film did a pretty good job. Um, the movie was also beautifully shot. Regardless of what flaws it had, it had it was beautiful. The set was fantastic. Um, you know, that house is... Like, if I died and went to heaven, I imagine that's the house that I would, that I would be given, um, despite all my bad deeds on Earth. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it was absolutely beautiful. The fact that the entire movie took place within the house and never exited the house in any sort of meaningful way gave this really cool, um, this really cool sense where it almost felt like I was watching a play at times. You know, as like the backgrounds which in the house would change, but only with the camera movement. A lot of times, the camera was really focused close on the face, and that also gave the sense that while the audience was looking in one direction there were stagehands changing the scenery on the other side of the stage so that when it cut back, it looked different and vice, and, you know, back and forth. Um, so there was this cool dynamic going on there. Um, yeah, these... they really, they really sell up the idea of the house as a character. And like, for the most part, the camera is focused and fixed on Jennifer Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And it gives you that sense of that the house is moving around her rather than she's moving around in the house. And I think, and plus the whole heartbeat thing about of the house, I think, is um, a very unique way of just kind of symbolizing that she's kind of grounded in Earth as well. Yeah, um, the 
they also did a really good job, as you mentioned. Most most of the time, the camera is focused on Jennifer Lawrence, um, and in particular, whenever there are stressful moments on the screen, which winds up just being the last half of the movie on, uh, the camera just like holds really tight to Jennifer Lawrence's face, and it does this really good job of sort of grafting the audience to the emotional state of the mother character, mm-hmm. um, where we're seeing the world. She's experiencing the world changing around her as she goes, and the audience is only seeing that um, through her eyes, almost as if it was over her shoulder. So we get connected to her, and we experience that claustrophobia that she feels from being surrounded by people, and we experience that that almost psychotic panic she gets from seeing something new every time she turns around as the movie ramps up. And I thought that the, that the camera work did a really good job of connecting the audience with those emotions, um, which I think was you know was just really really effective. Also, for the most part, this movie was pretty simply shot. There were, was mostly practical effects, but when there were special effects, they were just beautiful and really well integrated into the movie. Um, you know, in the beginning and at the end, when the house heals itself from its burnt state, um, the veins of fire in the crystal that are just like really ever so gently pulsating and look like as if they're streams of lava. Um, when Mother is having her contractions as she scrambles through the house, and with every contraction, the, the entire screen shakes and the outer edges of the screen sort of blur out. Um, the special effects were just really cool and never really felt like they dominated uh, the film or took me out of the practicality of what had of the majority of what it was built upon. Um, and also, I have to give a big shout out to this movie. It's really hard to disturb me when it comes to both fiction films and even, you know, like real videos of shitty things happening. I am a child of the internet. I grew up watching videos from websites like Ebombs World and um, WorldStar and Lord knows all those sorts of like explicit places. Um, so I've seen some shit <laughs> and, and it takes a lot to make me feel really uncomfortable. And the scene where the baby is crowd surfing and suddenly gets his neck snapped just rocked me. It just really, really made me uncomfortable um, personally, I find that anything dealing with harming a baby really upsets me, no matter no matter how fake or fictitious it is. And up until this moment, the most disturbing scene in any movie I had seen was the scene in Train Spotting, where Hugh and McGregor's character comes out of his bender and goes to check on the baby and realizes that it's been days or even possibly weeks, and the baby is just in bed, dead and moldy. That was the most disturbing scene I had seen in the film, and I think the baby neck snap followed by the butchered corpse and the people like pushing his little body parts into their mouth with their fingertips might, might top that in terms of things that really disturbed me in a movie. And that is a positive. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Baby killing, a positive in Mike's mo- uh, mind. <laughs> Damn it. There goes my run for governor. <laughs> Bullet, what's up? So I got a couple things. Uh, I thought that th- I thought this was the original point of the film, b- based on the, the you know it being named Mother, was uh, to be an abstract on like young women's life growing up current day. Um, I thought that they did a lot of things where like they were really you know as someone who's in my late twenties, most of the people are you know that would do this like are generally in this age range. Um, there's a ton of pressure to be like. When you have a kid, you should have a kid. You don't really know what life is until you have a kid, and like that was that was so over like 
that was to me the right level of uh, right there. That like it made sense on a personal level, and then it also um, had a little bit of like not coming out and saying this is the point of the movie. Um, I also thought it was funny on the flip side where uh, when the they had like the funeral party. Um, and she was just yelling at everyone, trying to clean up after them. All I could see was my own mother chasing me and my friends around the house, being like, get down from there. No, 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 you're making a mark. Like, and, and so I really thought it was funny how they, they, they showed perfectly the mess that people, my and general, Jennifer Lawrence's, I think a year younger than me's age, reach where like half of us are stuck with our parents and grandparents going like, when are we going to have, uh, you know, when are you going to pop out a couple kids? And the other half have a couple kids, and they're stuck, like, yelling at them because they're all tiny and little terrors that I want no part of. Um, I thought that was a really, like, solid, solidly well explored for a little bit in that movie, and I thought it really worked. Um, I think that it, it partially because it worked, because I thought a lot of the small character scenes had a ton of great chemistry. Like, you could... Some of the dialogue didn't work, and it was kind of goofy, and, and uh, like the man in black kind of was shoehorned in a little bit. But the lines between uh, Lawrence and Javier Bardem, I thought, were like really well done. Um, and I think that deserves like pointing out. And again, it goes to like, a lot of the small scenes was when they really focused on like the motherly aspect of things. Um, one thing that kind of helped draw it into how close and personal it was was that. It had a lack of music. So apparently there was uh, a score written for this, and then they decided, hey, the score's not really what we want. Let's just strip it down. And the, this is the composer that came and was like, hey, like, I don't think anything I wrote makes sense. Please, let's just get rid of it, and we'll do our own thing. So what they did to compensate is they overly boosted a lot of the sound design elements, floorboards creaking, pots and pans rattling. And so you could really hear that. You could really hear with a fine detail what was going on throughout the house. Like you guys were talking about earlier, the house was a living embodiment that had its own lines and its own dialogue that you, you firmly was in the foreground. Um, yeah, like whenever she poured that yellow thing into her drink, you'd hear like this. The fizz. Big sound and fizz. Yeah. Also like, it was like a fizz plus. Yeah. <laughs> so and it, it really drew you in on those. Um, they... They kind of, I felt like, lost their way a little bit when they started introducing a lot of people to the mix mm -hmm. uh, because it was underscored. Or, you know, it overshowed you. Like, they had all the background noises. The one contrary thing that I love is that they built you up to listening to all these stupid background things. And then as soon as the people stopped talking when the baby was born, like, I noticed it. I was like, where'd all that white noise go? That it, all This whole sound bed dropped away because they've been doing it the entire rest of the movie. And you waited, you know, an hour and 40 minutes uh, for that payoff. That was definitely well worth it, that you had that little hanging moment of suspense. Um, as one last thing, uh, I, I just, I want to shout this out. I flat out didn't notice the, the actress change, that it wasn't Jennifer Lawrence at the end. Um, I was like positive that the, because, because it's in my head, I kind of figured out some of these things beforehand. I really wasn't paying attention too much. And when I went home, like, wait, what? You know, I saw an extra person cast as an some random role and, uh, clicked in on it. But yeah, those, those are the big things for me. Well, even when the movie kind of started, like the woman who was burning, um, at first, uh, was a different actress and it was a different woman 
Uh, and so that thing that was, was, yeah. So you started off as a different woman. You, then you wake up and you get um, Jennifer Lawrence character, and then we get the random character at the end. Um, and I think that was a question that I think me and Mocha talked about because I, I, I think I, I definitely picked up on it. I was like, oh, who's this person? And I thought we were going to figure out who this person was, and I thought this person was going to be the daughter or the, the, the baby was born, but there's a son. So I was like, wait, who is this person going to be? And then we end up saying, oh, okay, it's like a cycle, um, and that's very interesting there. No. Yeah, some things will be a little bit different, but the process stays the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, as always, things that, that really, things things that we like about this movie, but there's also going to be a lot of stuff and a lot of things that we may not necessarily like about movies in general, and I'm going to toss this over the book. Cool, yeah. I, I think the biggest thing for me was that, like, I couldn't figure out the point of this movie through the whole first half of it, and then at some point, I was, was like, yeah, it's all a Bible metaphor. It's all Jesus. It's, that's all this is about. And there's there's no ambiguity whatsoever. Um, I don't know. It just it to me that didn't work. Where it didn't play that fine line between presenting an ambiguous idea and making it too ambiguous, or presenting an idea and then having everyone understand it immediately. Like it felt like everyone walking out was like, oh, that was that was about God and about the environment. And people kind of suck and people have war. Oh, okay, cool. Like I've seen that in a million movies and I've seen it presented in more of an ambiguous side where like you can you can see why people do certain activities. In this aspect it was just like, well, Javier Bardem is acting irrationally and he's supposed to be this all-knowing thing and the crowds are acting completely irrationally like I get it. That's that's the take of like how humanity works, but on like that intermediate level, like no one acts like that. Like mm-hmm. I think that as a culture, there's a few people that have the voice on the internet and Fox News that have very loud uh, voices and are able to kind of dictate a dialogue. But in most cases, if you talk to the common person, that's not what anyone's like. Um, and I, I thought it was just kind of overblown and like. It was too cute. It was too much of like, hey, this is my statement on society, rather than like making something subtler that it actually means something. Um, also, I, I thought there was some things like uh, the the yellow powder, which we were talking about before, even the con- the contractions that were presented but just never explained, um, and like they seemed kind of meaningful. Like the contractions for me, what what. Well, I was just going to say that I can explain contractions to you. You see, <laughs> when a woman is nearing her birthday point. I, I, I understand the, the emotions on how that works. But, but it seemed like they were, she was having this, like, really powerful, uh, you know, it was, like you were saying earlier, it was one yeah. of the, like, they actually used... Messianic force. Yeah, yeah, and, like, you kind of expected, like, I don't know, something. Like, something about the baby was kind of important. And in the end, the baby just proved as a plot device to get her to hate God and then go to a basement and kill everyone. The most important thing about the baby was that it tasted delicious. <laughs> That's very true. At least you're consistent about this. <laughs> that there was great folding work for it. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they, they broke a whole bunch of different animal bones in there trying to get that thing sounding right. Um, the one last thing for me is that, like, in kind of going into this, that 
even from the opening moments, I was like, oh, oh, this is a time loop and nothing matters. You know, I didn't, you know, as I was saying earlier, they did fool me on the whole actress thing. Um, But it was still like, okay, pretty blonde woman gets burned up, pretty blonde woman wakes up. And I thought personally that we saw the end of the movie there. uh, And I thought it was just going to go cycle back to the beginning again with Jennifer Lawrence. Um, But still, it was a time loop. The other thing is that um, if you read both the... um, was it the Telltale Heart by Edgar? Was it Poe who wrote that? Yeah. Um, yeah. With the whole thing with the hearts beating inside the house, I was like, "Well, it's it's her heart," you know. Like as soon as it, as we saw that, and in fact, as soon as we saw the the first shriveling of it, I was like, "Well, that's the crystal. Like that's what he's been portraying, and like somehow that's how all this magic works, and that's what's kind of growing inside of her." Um, and so like the reveals at the end when he goes in, you know, rips it out of her chest wasn't that big because it was like, well, yeah, that's what's going to go happen. And a movie like this where it's supposed to be ambiguous, like, I don't know, oh, that was a big miss because I felt like that could have been like, if you didn't telegraph that from the start, it would have worked. Mm-hmm. The other thing is in, in regards to the time loop, this is really great short story. Um, I have no idea who wrote it, uh, but I think it's worth for everyone to check out. In fact, uh, if we can remember, which... There's next to no chance of that happening. But if we can remember, we'll post it in the show notes where um, it's a story where this guy wakes up and is presented with a deity. And uh, the deity talks about his previous life and says, okay, you have to go live again. And then, like, I know you guys are laughing at me, but it's probably like sophomore level. Uh, psychology, a you know, a short story, but it's a really good one, and I think that it per- perfectly encapsulates that living experience that Jennifer Lawrence had throughout this whole thing. Except it, um, it was done better in this random story, short, short story that was published on the internet. Hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of like want to see like a sequel to this movie where. Do, does Javier Bardem make different choices because he know? I mean, I guess we're led to believe, like, he knows what, he knows all the past histories of everything. And that... Well, he doesn't... Will he try something different to be a little bit more connected to her, or will he just continue to be who he is? I think that's, I mean, you're, you're not wrong there. It'd be interesting to see another take on another timeline. But I, I think at that point, he had that line, uh, was it I am I, uh, that he... You you basically start every scenario from that wake up morning moment, and you know that for a fact that that's a wake up moment, and then you end every scenario with her burning the house down in some capacity. Uh, how you get there is irrelevant. And I think Javier, that's part of the intrigue of, and like kind of the sadness of his character that he knows at some point, like regardless, that's gonna happen. Well, in the biblical um, analogy or allegory. God is all-knowing, right? And so, you know, for people like myself who are raised in Christian households and are still dealing with the trauma from that today, um, <laughs> God knows, like, when you sin, God knows you're going to sin because God knows you're shitty, and also God knows that you're going to sin again. And it's this sort of unavoidable thing where the creator creates, but the creation always has free will, even if the creation knows that it shouldn't be doing And I think for Javier Bardet there, I think he's like he's obviously supposed to be God in this scenario, and I think for him the moment where he where he realizes that it's all going to have to be done over is when the crystal breaks, 
at that moment, he's so filled with rage because he's like, shit, it's happening again. They're going to fuck it up again. Yeah. And so from then on, he's just sort of writing it out until that moment where he has to well, restart. The other thing that's is his that, primary obsession during the whole time. Yeah. Before that breaks, that's his primary obsession. And it kind of switches where, like, after that moment, he goes into that depression, depression and then... Um, my God, this is so... Did you guys catch, like, the Cain and Abel and, like, the Great Flood got rid of all... It, it's like, yeah. oh, God, it was so heavy-handed. But, uh, I guess, ironically, um, the... But one thing is that, uh, at least in the, the, the Christian God, at least in the New Testament one, um, Jesus is super humble. And I guess if we never got to see the quote-unquote Jesus character, we don't know how that would go. But And maybe some of our Jewish listeners can kind of fill us in for more of the Old Testament side of things. I don't think God was ever that kind of like a self-absorbed, egotistical prick. You oh, know, hell like, yeah, he was. Oh, the yeah, first the Testament of, is all God really? really? uh, it's, it's been a while. Like, it's been a while <laughs> since I've seen that. So the Old Testament is nothing but God being an asshole. And yeah, then the New much. Testament comes and Jesus shows up and it, 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 it levels him out a bit. Yeah, right? But they're supposed to be, like, the same... I don't know. I don't know. I, He's just like, sorry. I, I, I'm sorry for the people that are, like, religious that are thinking, like, nope, that's incorrect. This is not what we think. Because uh, it's been about uh, a decade plus since I've gone to uh, to Sunday school. But, um, yeah, it was... It, to me, it seemed, like, a little bit out of character for that. Um, I was raised Episcopalian, so we weren't taught Catholic guilt, so... <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah. I'm literally, like, unconsciously flogging myself as we record this, and I didn't even realize it until you mentioned the Catholic guilt. That's how real it is. <laughs> oh, good luck. Oh, man. I want to toss this over to Brylin. What's some things that just didn't work for you for Mother? Uh, so, yeah. So, I think uh, the big issue with this movie is Jennifer Lawrence. Um, I think she's horribly miscast in this movie. I think at the very beginning when she's showing like this pragmatic pragmatic side, so she's being welcoming to people, she's being a, I mean, she's being a home for people, and then she has this unique take of like, oh, watch the sink, it's not braced, or oh, let me clean those dishes for you, and you know, it's that very like um, domestication part of the home. Um, but as the movie goes on, I feel like she just doesn't have the dramatic energy to keep up with a character like this. And I would like to have seen someone that when they see their baby's neck get snapped, be able to create a blood curdling scream that would jar me out of my seat. And he doesn't do that for me. It's very weak. It's like, no, my baby. And that's it. And I think this has one of those, she delivers one of the most cringy lines that after uh, she sleeps with Javier Bardem, she goes, I'm pregnant. And it, it just goes, comes off the wrong way with her. Um, I think she's a good actor. I love Winter's Bone. She's amazing in that movie. But she's not right for this movie at all. And... With all the things about, like, yeah, I mean, Darren Aronofsky said, like, this kind of like a allusion to the Bible. Um, I really didn't up on I was watching this. Like I said, Episcopalian, we take the Bible at face value, pretty much. Um, but um, we, uh, 
that the see the doctor's family and everything. These are some good characters. This is some good character building. I think it's very rushed and t- is um, is there and gone away too quickly. Especially with the brothers, I'd like to see more about uh, why the brothers at odds ends. And it's kind of like you're introduced to them. They have their collision with each other, and then it's out of the way uh, to make room for the greater madness. And I feel like it, let these characters stay a little bit and let them kind of be more connected to this world. I thought that would make the movie more interesting and make it less of a on-the-nose type of uh, biblical reference as well. Loka, what you got? Well, I have to agree with, with a lot of what Blue Ed said and what a lot of you guys have said as well so far. I think that this movie, in the moment, is nearly indecipherable, um, particularly when things take that, as I mentioned earlier, that sharp left-hand turn into chaos. It's really hard to kind of figure out what exactly they're going for. You know, this movie can be interpreted in a lot of different ways, and it it sort of exclaims itself in all those ways at once. And so not only is it a lot of visual and auditory stimuli on screen, but for anyone who goes into a movie and tries to look at it through a critical lens, it's way too much, too many possibilities to process in the moment. And I feel like there might have been an an intent there to allow people to sort of come to their own conclusion, but it's, it doesn't really execute well. Um, And even if I try to give it that much of of a leeway, Aronofsky came out and said exactly what the movie was supposed to be about, too. So if he knows exactly what the movie is supposed to be about, then why didn't he make a movie that allows the audience to narrow narrow in on exactly what it's supposed to be about? Yeah. Um, which is a, he, took, a, he took the David Lynch approach with this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Although that's not as well executed, I think. Um, yeah. You know, this the first half of the movie spent its time building towards what seems and what it was billed as uh, a horror movie. Um, it seems like a horror movie about home invasion, about somebody's control over a pristine rural life being out of control with these strangers who just won't get the fuck out and seem to have some sort of negative intentions. Michelle Pfeiffer was, despite Blewett's feelings that she didn't really do much in this role, I thought that as a main antagonist, um, she was fantastic. She was... She had this air of just, just being on the edge of exploding, right? Like she was a loaded bomb, and everything seemed fine, but you didn't know what she was going to do, including when she, like, just kind of slipped away from Jennifer Lawrence and ran into the, you know, the holy room of there uh, of the poet. Um, but she wasn't the the antagonist. She was just one of the notes in a tour of allegory through the Bible, um, and I feel like the movie really. It almost seemed like the main antagonist in the movie was the movie itself, and that's weird. It's a weird thing to have to come out of a movie thinking, um, and it's a bit too heavy-handed, as we mentioned earlier. Um, there were a few moments in the movie that, again, did well within the framework of, oh, this is a horror movie, but didn't really make sense um, from the grand picture of, oh, this is some Bible allegory. The, the blood dripping through the floor and outlining the secret door the secret door that was being banged upon by some force from within, um, but that has nothing in it of any sort of value except for the oil tanker that she ultimately uses to light the house on fire. You can light the house on fire with pretty much anything as long as there's fire involved. 
So why there was that? a lot of fucking candles around the house at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there were a shit ton of candles. Um, and but like that room should have had some sort of significance and meaning. I've been racking my brain trying to figure out what that stupid room could have meant from a biblical perspective. Um, Warren, when you and I stepped out of the theater, the fucking frog drove me crazy. Yeah. Like, frog, so she opens the door, she finds the secret door, and one creature, the only form of life that we've seen that isn't human, jumps out, and it's a frog. Um, like, what does that mean? It can't be random. There's no body of water in that in that little, like, dark um, tanker room. Um, ro- frogs tend to have a lot of different meanings, can be used in a lot of ways for symbolism, you know, they're amphibious, so they have this uh, representation of duality of nature, duality of mind and spirit. Um, they are reptilian, so they have this sort of ancient quality that exists beyond time of humans. They're, you know, they're they've got one a lot of the main, they were one of the major plagues. Yeah. yeah, they were one of the major plagues. If you want to look that way in, in, in biblical times, they, we have fairy tales about, about them, like representing frog princes and they have so much of a rich history of symbolism throughout all different types of cultures, but it was just the frog in the movie. It was a really, like, at most it was a jump scare, but not even. Like, I, it, I don't know, that, that entire basement seems so pointless, which is really odd to me because the basement, the only person who ever steps into the basement is Mother. And while it's a, it's a room that builds fear and anxiety for the audience, it's always, from, for every moment that she's in it in the movie, the safest place for her. And so there's some inherent meaning there, but it actually has no connection to the greater allegory as far as I can see. Like, that's maddening. Why did you waste the time on that? This movie was long enough as it was. Yeah. You know, why had the light bulb filled with blood and then pop? Like, what, like if everything else means something, why did that mean nothing? Um, so that was, a big, that was a big point of frustration for me. I really think this movie would have been great as a straight-up horror movie about home invasion, but it wasn't that at all. Yep. Um, I think that this film was... It was definitely one of the more abstract and surreal examples of Aronofsky's work, um, especially out of what I've seen. I haven't seen The Fountain yet, and I know that can be that movie can get a bit out there. Um, but I also feel like he's trying really hard to make this his most abstract and surreal work. And... What I like about Aronofsky's other movies is that there's always a very clear amount of intent and a clear amount of thoughts into how it's filmed and what the characters do and say and what the music sounds like um, to get a specific effect while being relatively subtle, you know. Um, this film just didn't feel like it had that, you know. It didn't have some of the messages that you see in films like Black Swan or in The Wrestler or in Requiem for a Dream. It was almost those as if movies. Their fear is more the just the upfront human elements of it, and not the fantastical. Even though you see the fantastical there to add to the horrors of the real. Mm-hmm. That no, it's like instead of the wings sprouting from bulging out of her back and creating blood and stuff, it's no, it's more of her torturing her ass to actually get this part. That's yeah. the fear. Yeah, absolutely. And you could almost see that with the first part of the movie. You know, the first half of the movie is uh, gives off the sense of the fear being people who are willing to take, too willing to just take and be selfish, the selfishness of humanity, 
when you're looking at somebody who is inherently giving and inherently caring and inherently mother-like to everyone she meets and what that means when people come into your life that are just willing to take no matter what it means to you, that was there. And then suddenly the second half of the movie starts and none of that matters because it's all just this crazy fever dream. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just like, I feel like the first half of this movie was had way more potential and lined up with what it was billed as in the trailers than the rest of the, the second half of the movie. And the second half of the movie dictates the significance of the first half in this instance. So I feel like it was a like a negative bait and switch. Like they, they lured me in yeah. with, a, with a good movie and then swapped it out for nonsense. Because that trailer was fucking amazing that they released. Oh, yeah. And I was telling, I think I was telling Warren about this when we were in the movies initially. The first time I saw a trailer for Mother, um, the trailer was shown in theater with no visual whatsoever. It was a yeah, black was screen, all of the audio from the original trailer, but just with the um, you know words flash on the screen of like who the actors were, who was creatively involved, and then the title. And that, that sold me. I was like, hell yes, this movie looks like it's going to be awesome. And then the trailers added to that. The trailers, even with their visual elements, led me to think, oh, this is going to be creepy and scary and cool. And it it just was a different type of movie. Um, then, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a shame because I do love Aronofsky's work. And I like being challenged by him. And I don't think this movie was really challenging. I think it was just confusing. Um, but yeah, yeah that's, that's more or less what I have on it. That, those topics are kind of the umbrella that all my negativity rests on, or all my criticism rests under for this film. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely kind of uh, agree with uh, literally just about every part. It's more along the lines of Mocha, because um, we did talk about this in depth a lot, uh, and we even kind of brought it up and kind of talked about it with like, other people who had like a different a perspective of it. And uh, I guess like, the, the, the biggest thing that I, uh, I would necessarily say is just, I was just very confused, um, because... I didn't get any other biblical references at all. That's why I didn't. I never. I haven't chimed in on that because I, you know, I did not know half of that stuff. So I'm like, okay, well, I didn't get any of that at all. Like maybe you want to tell a story about relationships or like marriage and like like people growing old together or like the inability to grow old or like you know the 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 challenges of marriage or then uh, much like I think Mocha kind of talked about like maybe you want to talk about like the this guy's an artist, right? And you talk about the internet trolling and uh, how things and creative process on the internet and anybody and everybody can necessarily kind of talk about it or maybe you want to talk about, um, like, like like you said, kind of the home invasion. Like, there's... Once you already pass number... Hey, maybe you want to talk about number three, number four, it's not a good sign. Uh, it, and then you outright tell everybody, oh, no, this is what the movie's about and nobody gotten that at all. Uh, or some not not nobody some people did pick up on it you can see some some articles that people wrote about it who actually really enjoyed and really loved this movie but um, I just had you know a, a bit of an issue with things that weren't explained like what was she drinking and uh, why kept why was that always coming up in times that she couldn't feel like she couldn't defend herself or kind of speak up for herself and um, that was kind of weird and uh it's just a lot. I, you know, I'm not going to retread on, on what people said here, but uh, it's just too many things. It's one too many things that just cause too much issues for the movies. And, um, you know, you, we know that he can make a movie that's like linear that can necessarily make from A to B to C, but he chose to do it a, a completely different sort of roundabout sort of way uh, and it just didn't hit on a lot of points. There was too many sort of open-ended sort of things that happened to it. Now, at one point, I felt 
more for the side family of the leaving somebody out of his will and he's dying and um, you know all like everybody else I felt like that was a more entertaining movie what was happening like a section of the movie than the actual main character uh, which was not good it's definitely not a good thing to actually have and uh, it's just kind of weird uh, for what they're necessarily trying to do what they're trying to approach I think some of the cameos are just weird as hell as well because yes. it's like you don't see Kristen Wiig as playing like his agent. You see, oh, it's SNL's Kristen Wiig. And what is she doing here? Yeah. And so she goes about and says, like, yeah, we need to get you out there and promote you. And by the end, she's like shooting people in the head that disagree with his vision and stuff. And yeah. it's um, and it's just like very like, you know what? You could have had a bit more subtle hand into what you wanted your interpretation to be and still make a great movie because you Aronofsky's been a king of subtlety I mean look at the wrestler the wrestler has a lot of different motifs to it but in the end it is about one guy just trying to see like can he lead a normal life and he ultimately decides he can't yeah the unfortunate thing about Kristen Wiig's cameo in this and that I agree with you there. If I see Kristen Wiig, the first thing I think of is, oh, this is SNL's Kristen Wiig. Um, however, I do think that she's capable of tra- of transforming herself in a more serious role. But in this film, she was, didn't have the opportunity to. She showed up. The audience goes, oh, literally no one was expecting Kristen Wiig. And then rather than developing her character or ha- giving her any sort of actual meaning or any sort of purpose to be in the film at all, they just use her for a few like quick shots to um, to show that there's another voice kind of hyping up the creator, um, separating him from his wife and the things that should matter to him, and then she's taken out of the out of the screen. And so you don't get a chance to see her really dive into a character that means anything. You just see Kristen Wiig in four to five shots, um, and I think that's I don't think that's Kristen's fault. I think that's the character, and I think that's the directing's fault. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing I thought was kind of strange of, like, things not necessarily adding up is they called the police, like, multiple times, and they never showed. And why was, like, the use of a phone and, like, calling for help or anything wasn't necessarily sort of, um, like, they mentioned it in particular of, hey, there's no, um, uh, you know, cell phone service, what she was kind of talking about before, but it just also doesn't make any sense. There's just so much. I, I don't feel like shot on the movie here. <laughs> like, it's just... There's too many things that just... Just didn't necessarily... Well, of convenience. Yeah. But all right, guys. So, I'm super pumped to talk about our grades. And uh, kind of ending off of, you know, we're here, we're going to talk about our final grades, and we're going to toss it over. Brylin, you know, give me some final grades and some lasting thoughts of uh, Mother. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to give it a C plus. Um, this is, I mean, Aronofsky, he's visual genius, uh, what he wants to be, but like a lot of what people said, it's very heavy handed in it's telling and what he wants to get across it. And he's definitely made better movies than this. Um, and I, I'm going to go back and say like, Hey, the, the best reason to see this movie is to see Harvey about dim. I mean, go ham on acting and just run a clinic on what it is to be an actor. The dude is fucking amazing. Um, And I would see it again just for his performance. Oof. That is some bold words, my friend. Uh, So I got Bradley C plus Mocha. What you got? This movie, 
is going to receive a C plus from me. Um, up until maybe like 20, 30 minutes ago, uh, I was planning on giving this movie a bit of leeway and offering it a B minus. But talking about it um, and verbalizing my thoughts, which I really hadn't had a chance to do since I saw the movie, helped me realize just how fucking frustrated I really was coming out of that movie theater. I think there was a bit of shock factor not in oh this movie was shocking but more that i am experiencing traumatic shock afterwards because i really just trusted aaron noski to just blow me away with this film and i was so excited for it to be the first time that i saw an aaron noski film in theaters and it just wasn't it wasn't up to par with his previous stuff and i think you know i think he got a little a little over his a little rambitious um with what he thought he could pull off in this in this one scenario um, it's definitely a movie that warrants multiple viewings, but I do not believe any of those viewings should be in a theater. Do not spend money for a ticket to see this film. Um, you know, watch it when it releases on digital with your friends or with a loved one so that you have someone to talk about it with afterwards. Don't watch this movie alone, not because it's scary, but because you will need to talk through your own frustrations. Yes. And it's not healthy to push that stuff down. Um, <laughs> this is coming from a fourth former Catholic don't push it down. That's unhealthy. Um, but yeah, ultimately, this movie is getting a C plus. Um, I, I give this movie a D plus. Uh, like honestly, the entire movie, I just kept on thinking, please get to the point. Please get to the point. Please get to the point. And then when I did, I was like, what's going on with this? Uh, it also didn't help that I had like a big gulp right before it, and I had to pee through the entire movie. Uh, which <laughs> that's which, always a terrible feeling. Yeah, but truthfully, like I'll give it this. I saw. Uh, Dark Knight Rises, and I did the same stupid thing, and I sat there and I suffered through that. And that movie wasn't terribly great. It was good. It was very good, but it wasn't like a great movie. And I still was like, well, I want to find out what happens next. I want to find out what happens next. With this, I was just like, oh my god, I should just go pee. I don't care. And, and that you never, you should never have another, a movie that you have in theaters where you're thinking that sentence to yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was kind of too just too like stuck up its ass. I, I like I'll probably just never see this film again. It wasn't a failure. It wasn't Transformers level bad, Ugh. but like I have no reason. Yeah, right. I can't fail this movie. Like that's not possible. Um, so I think my my grade here is going to be like bordering a C to C minus. But I'll, I'll stick to a regular C. Um, I did like the things that I like, you know, set design and the way that they necessarily had. Uh, and the shots of the film, and even like some of the colors that they were necessarily kind of using, especially when, although we don't know what this powder is, but this powder essentially is supposed to be make like everything sort of better. And you know, I did have one thing of well, maybe it's just like r regular magic. Like, is it about like medication, like opioid use or something like that? Of gets people to something that they want to kind of uh, just use and makes everything feel better. So she can see her the first time we actually see her do it is put her in the paint. And then we see her drink it. So now we have no fucking idea what this is. But it did, like, she put it on the wall, and it was like, oh, that made it better. And there's these small moments in the movie that I think are interesting that I think he had an idea for, but forgot. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. wondering about that, too. I was like, is that the same stuff? Yeah, it has to be the same. The I, whole I, I thought it was the same I was stuff. like... Yeah. That's so fucking weird. And, you know, and maybe like, you, maybe that stuff that they were sprinkling, and it could be, right? It's, it's probably not, but maybe that stuff is like maybe ashes of how she's trying to actually sort of destroy. 
everything. When she, one of her things is that she's trying to create. She's trying to create and like build a new house and fix this all up. But maybe every time she does that, she's slowly kind of destroying stuff. Like who, who knows? I don't. I don't know. But uh, th- we needed to have a reason for that, and we just didn't have a reasoning for it. Um, so I guess like you know, a lot all the stuff that we necessarily said, it was just too confusing. Um, I think once we left the movie, it's not a good sign when I can't tell if I dislike the movie or just still kind of confused or I need to talk this out just to even figure out what the heck did I see but already I know that I, I off the bat I know I didn't like this movie and that's a, a bad sign um, so let's see is that my final grade for mother brutal so thank you everyone all my beautiful fans all our beautiful people listening all the Derek Sungs and the Ryan Dows in the world and the Megan Arnolds uh, for listening to our uh, Down in Front podcast featuring uh, Mother, uh, directed by Darren Aronofsky. Brylin, where can you find where you work? Uh, you can find me taking 20 months to write one poem at Twitter, at Brylin, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. Uh, I also host the Gamescast. We're going to be back very soon. Uh, twitch.tv slash downfrontpodcast and uh, you can also find my short movie reviews on Instagram uh, I am Bradland all one crazy with open spaces with Instagram alright and as always i uh, always excited to see your beautiful face Mocha Mocha where can you find more of your work yeah, well, you can, as always, find me on Twitter.com, tweeting about all sorts of things from current events to my uh, general nonsense musings. Um, my username is at MochaMikeLI, as the Lord intended. Um, unfortunately, I do not have the username at MochaMike, and that's because an older man continuously on a loop rips it out of my heart. And puts it on a fucking pedestal and just stares at it. He does nothing with it. He just looks at it because it makes him feel good and keeps it away from me. Um, so you cannot find me at Mocha Mike. It is at Mocha Mike Li. Um, however, please also follow me on Instagram where you can see my photography work. Uh, that is Mocha Mike, my username there, Instagram.com slash Mocha Mike. Um, you can also find some of my written work on Medium, where I do some long-form reviews about our uh, the films that we review here on the podcast, as well as talk about other works, um, at medium.com slash at MochaMike. Um, I'll be posting a sort of breakdown of the film Mother through sort of a biblical lens, I'm trying to line up the characters and the events that occur with Aronofsky's vision, just to give a frame of reference for people. Um, so please check that out. Let me know if you like it. It's medium.com slash at MochaMike. Uh yeah, so if you can, if you want, you can check us out on uh, at Minus Music uh, on most major platforms. We got a Facebook, we got uh, a Twitter, we got an Instagram. We're playing a show at the start of next month. We're hoping to announce a uh, holiday show for Halloween. So uh, soon, soon enough. So hopefully you can come get freaky with that. Um, and then, uh, obviously, if you want to reach out for Gmail, I'm freely, widely available, like leg spread available. Just a piece of crap. You can find me at uh, Jesse Rand's Eating Heartbeat House uh, at gmail.com. Nice. <laughs> I would have gone with Jesse Rand Baby Eater at ymail.com, but. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. 
you're fine tuning this. Just absolutely <laughs> this fine tuning this process. Yep. <laughs> And we are the Down and Front Podcast. You can find a lot of our work. The majority is going to be our podcast. So literally any really popular sort of podcast sort of uh, platform you do, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, and the um, Stitcher, you can find more of our work. Just search for us at Down and Front Podcast. We have a Twitter. We have a uh, freaking like Facebook. We're going to be on Patreon. So our Twitter is at underscore D-A-F-P. That's at underscore D-A-F-P. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash Down and Front Podcast. As well as our Patreon for just helping us out for just any of the fees and going to movies, kind of hanging out and kind of traveling together as much as we can so we can push more content. Definitely go ahead and find us at patreon.com slash Down and Front Podcast. And if you do have any questions of like future reviews or things that you want or if you want to be on the show feel free to email us down in front podcast at gmail.com with that we are the crew we are the team thanks so much to check it in and we will see you soon for our next review bye call your mother tell her you love her call your mother tell mother, her mother there is no other